Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Over the last few weeks, we've watched the world shut down, and many of us are left wondering, will life ever return to normal? Whatever tomorrow brings, we can count on one thing. With God, the best is always yet to come. And this season of shutdown, we've been given an opportunity to prepare for a new beginning. So let's take this time to get ready to restart. Our series is called Restart, and today I have to go to a place with this message that we desperately need to talk about. You and I hear it, we feel it. Anger is building, and it's completely understandable. As a nation, as a culture, as a world, we've suffered loss in all kinds of ways. And you know what human nature does? It looks for somebody to blame. And the deeper we go into this crisis, the easier it's going to be to blame others for what's happening. You and I know that nothing like this has ever happened in our lifetime. It's bizarre. And of course, we're in an election year. Politics is going to enter into this. In our politics in the United States, we're more polarized than we've ever been. And you know what's going to happen. One side will blame the other. And politicians may even have it coming. Leaders are like us. They're flawed people. And mistakes are inevitable. (laughs) And mistakes are being made. I mean, if you press real hard, you'll see some incompetent decisions And it may be that some of our politicians are using this thing to advance an agenda. I don't know. But here's my point. I'm not necessarily worried that you're going to blame a politician. I'm worried about what anger is doing inside of us during this season. Because anger can be dangerous. It can be dangerous to us personally, to our families, our marriages, and our relationships. So today, I want us to look at principle five of restarting, moving on after a shutdown, and here it is. Don't let anger over someone else's choices sideline you. One more time, this series is so much bigger than the coronavirus. Sermon series at New Spring tend to have a lifetime way beyond the contemporary aspect. And so some of you may be watching this series five or 10 years from now, and there'll be other shutdowns that'll come along. But here's what we're going to be talking about today, and this is so vital. Sometimes in your life, you're going to have a shutdown, and you didn't get a vote. You're trying to do the right thing. But other people in your life chose to do the wrong thing, and now you wound up paying a price because of those decisions. Well, in a few moments, I'm going to open up this talk. But I struggled as I was getting ready for this all-important sermon. I struggled because I knew it was important, It's been a big part of my life. I was clear on the Bible story that I need to talk to you about, but I honestly didn't know how to start this message. And so a week or so ago, I just sat down with Mary Alice and I asked her for her advice. Mary Alice is very wise. And I said, I know God is leading to talk to me about what happens when you have to deal with other people's decisions and you don't get a vote. How do we... How do we function in that situation? And Mary Alice said, Mark, this has been a big part of your life. And then, of course, she began to share some situations. Well, it's a little awkward to talk about yourself 
And so Mary Alice is going to kind of share what she shared with me that morning. Hi, I'm Mary Alice Hoover, and I want to just share with you a little bit about my husband that he won't share with you, I'm sure. Um, but it relates to the story that he's talking about in his message this week. As we were sitting over coffee a few days ago, he was sharing with me what the story was about, what the message was about. And he uh, looked up at me very puzzled and said, I just can't figure out how to illustrate this. And I paused for a minute and looked at him. I said, oh my goodness, you are the illustration. You are the illustration of what it feels like to be harmed by, hurt by other people's choices and decisions and how to respond to that. So I wanted to just share a little bit with you because he won't share it with you. Um, that I've observed in him. Um, and again, we've, we'll be celebrating our 43rd anniversary next month. And so we've been together a very long time. I've watched him since we were just children, really. I was 14 when I first met him. He was 16. Been following him around in ministry all this time and watching him and watching how he interacts. Now, like I said, I, I could write a book, honestly, because we've had many, many of these situations that have come up that were unfair and unjust. And as everyone does, everyone goes through this at some point in time. And if you're like me and you have a sense of justice and you want to see things made right, uh, you might want to just, you know, go out swinging and fix it. And um, Mark never does that. And it always amazes me. Very often in our life, he's been the one to calm me down and say, let's remember these things. And there's so many things that he's repeated to me over and over. Of course, um, many times it's scripture, you know, remember the Bible tells us that we're, we're not in a battle against any flesh and blood. Flesh, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, which basically what we're saying there is our enemy's never a person, even though it feels like it is sometimes, but our enemy's never a person. And then he would also quote to me, you know, um, the, the uh, wrath of man never works the righteousness of God. And that's a, a loose quotation there from the book of James. So when we get angry, even if our anger is a righteous indignation, that's not how God's going to operate. But more personally and more privately, uh, watching Mark respond in these situations was monumental to me and has helped me in my life watching him. Um, the, the earliest situation came when we were just in our 20s and we were just serving on a staff and the leader became very, um, I would just call it mean, and it was personal and it was unwarranted and um, he mistakenly thought we were his enemy when we were actually his friend and treated us as enemies. And again, we were so young and impressionable, but I watched Mark be gracious and um, he never he never responded. And, and again, I'm not talking about in person. You know, we all have, hopefully, in our country, maybe not so much anymore, but we have some civility. So you can be nice to someone even if maybe they haven't treated you well when you're in public. But I'm talking about what he said and did at home when nobody else was around. He really believed in, in how he approaches this, and it has mattered. And he would say things to me like, you know, we need to give people space to change. I can afford to be gracious. He would, he would, um, he would just encourage me to not let, he would say to me if I was angry, you can't let that person change who you are. Also, he would say to me, sometimes you can be absolutely right, but if your response is wrong, you're not right anymore. Now, because I tend to be, um, jump up and fix and, you know, um, straighten out whoever's wrong person, um, that goes against my nature. 
And I think we all have a sense where we need justice. And watching him model that to me was, um, and still is, still is. And I'm going to tell you this real quick before I run out of time. Um, But this very morning, Mark got an apology from someone from an episode that happened more than six years ago. Now, you know what really stood out to me? Because that particular person, I was involved in that situation too, and I, I just really wasn't inclined to try to go back and repair that. I'll be honest with you. But Mark has demonstrated to me that if you are kind and you give people time to rethink and consider, you won't have any regrets. If you don't burn those bridges and if you don't, if you don't exert that blame when you could, and if you keep your heart right with God, even in those storms and even in those seasons where you're suffering because of what somebody else did, then on the back end of that, there's a sweetness when, if, and when that person changes. You haven't burned that bridge. You haven't responded to them in kind. And so you're, you're ready and willing to restore those relationships and enjoy the fullness of what God has for you in spite of what went on. And, and you know, keeping in mind that God, there's no, none of this is lost on God. And I think it models for us, too, the graciousness that God extends to us uh, in our lives. So I hope that helps you understand a little more about Mark Hoover and who he is and um, what a wonderful example I believe he is in extending God's grace even in a time where there's injustice. Thank you. Well, it is awkward to talk about myself. I make so many mistakes. But there's something within me at this stage in my life that wants to share what God has taught me through the years. Well, the truth is here at New Spring, we're in a blessed season. I'm not necessarily talking about the coronavirus situation. I'm just talking about what we've experienced the last 10 years or so. But over the last 35 years, as I've had the privilege of leading our church, there were many dark days, dark seasons. People made decisions, choices, hateful words were said, sometimes outright deception, and it threatened to shut down at least briefly what God was doing here. I'm guessing that you go through that kind of thing too. And I want to share the six lessons that God taught me to keep anger over other people's choices from sidelining me and, by extension, New Spring Church. But before we get to those six things, let's look at our Bible story. You can read about it a couple of places in the Bible. In Numbers 13, we read it as it happened. But in Deuteronomy chapter 1, which is my more favorite text, Moses is recapping this story and adding commentary to it. So I pray that when you get time, you'll read Numbers 13 in Deuteronomy chapter 1 because there are more lessons than I'll be able to share. But here's the basics. God was bringing Israel into the promised land. It should have taken 11 months for them to get from Egypt to Canaan, but instead it took 40 years, all because something bad happened. And here's what went down. You know, we call it the promised land with good reason. God had promised Israel this land. He had told them he would help them and he would bring them into the land. Well, here we are, just a few months after they left Egypt, they come to a border town called Kadesh Barnea. And the people of Israel who were getting cold feet went to Moses and said, we want to make sure this land is everything God said it was. Well, that was a mistake. But they said to Moses, let's send spies over there. As Moses will tell us in Deuteronomy, he agreed to that. And they took one out of every tribe, a spy, there were 12 spies in all, and he sent them over into the land to check it out. 
And when they got over there, they did check it out and came back, all 12 of them had the same report on one point. They said, the land is everything God said it was. It's beautiful. The fruit over there is massive. It is a land that flows with milk and honey. However, that's where the report diverged. 10 of the spies said, there's no way. We went over there and there were giants over there. We look like grasshoppers to them. Let's forget about it. There's no way we can take this land. But two of the spies named Joshua and Caleb said, the land is great and God is with us. If God said we could take the land, let's take the land. Well, it was a bad scene. And again, I would encourage you to read about it. There was so much division and hostility that the people actually talked about stoning Joshua and Caleb because they came back with a positive faith-filled report. Well, what happened was God said to the people of Israel, you're not going to be able to go into the land until everybody over a certain age dies. In effect, God was saying, all of you people who are afraid are going to have to die off and I will take the young generation into the land with two exceptions. God said, Joshua and Caleb will get to go over into the land. They were faithful to me. Now, this is the part of the story that led me into the message. Because consider, if you will, that Joshua and Caleb made the right decision. They had faith. They believe God. But now they have to wander around in the wilderness for almost 40 years, waiting for that older, faithless generation to die off. And I think about that from time to time. How do you function, if you're Joshua and Caleb, for those 40 years in the desert when it wasn't your choice? How do you keep anger from destroying your life? Some of you understand this question better than the rest of us. We all understand it some, and eventually, we all will understand it well. I mean, how do we continue to function when we're in a wilderness that we did not choose? Someone else chose it, but we have to go through that wilderness. Please know that I'm not setting myself up as an example of anything. But I have to tell you that having dealt with that throughout my ministry, except until recent years, I can tell you six lessons Call them tactics, call them six self-talk statements, call them whatever you will. But I want to show you six things that God taught me that helped me overcome. And so we're going to make all of these personal statements because I want us all to be able to say these things. Again, we're all going to be there. Maybe there's even some element of it in this coronavirus situation, but it's just part of shutdowns in life. Someone else makes a choice. We didn't want to go that direction, but we wind up being in the wilderness of their choosing. How do we keep anger and bitterness from destroying us when we're in that season of wandering? Here's number one. I can't let them change me. That's too much power to give anybody. You know, the other 10 spies were bitter, scared, and angry. And that's the influence they had on the people of Israel. They made them bitter, scared and angry. And Joshua and Caleb were going to lose almost 40 years of their life because of these bitter, scared, angry people. But here's what's so vital that we understand. When you read the rest of the story, you will see that Joshua and Caleb still got to the promised land. In fact, Joshua and Caleb would lead the young generation into the greatest generation in the history of Israel. 
So think about this for a moment. Just really absorb that. What was the biggest threat to Joshua and Caleb? And here's the answer to that. Letting these losers change who they were. If they weren't careful, their righteous indignation might have turned into bitterness. Could I say that one more time? If they hadn't been careful, their righteous indignation could have turned into bitterness. In other words, they could have said, we were right. We were trying to do the right thing. And what did it get us? It got us all these years in the wilderness. So you have to be careful to not let the losers change who you are. I love God's take on this whole thing. In fact, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. On the day that everything went south, when there were all the problems in the camp of Israel, God had this to say. And this is really 40 years before Caleb gets into the promised land. God says, my servant Caleb has a, look at this, different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me. So, now so is a word that says based on. Based on what? Based on the fact that Caleb has a different attitude. So I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Can you hear that? God was determined to bless Caleb and his children. Because of what? Because, because of Caleb's attitude. The only threat to Caleb is if he lets the losers change who he was. If he adopted the loser's attitude of bitterness. Never give a bitter person the power to change who you are. If God wants to bless you, they can't stop it. One more time, never give a bitter person the power to make you bitter. That's way too much power to give anybody else. Here's the second lesson that God taught me, and we'll turn it into a personal statement. I'll try to remember something good about that person. I don't know that I preach about this very often, but it's something I see all the time. It's so easy for people to be on our good list or our bad list. I, I, I know people, and they're fine people, but you know, when a person's on, that, on their good list, that person can do nothing wrong, even though that person may be doing wrong things, but they're on the good list. But you watch what happens when they get on that person's bad side. All of a sudden, the person who could do no wrong can do no right. And that's human nature again. So easy for people to be on our good list or our bad list. But people are complicated. You know, I, I know that there are some people that there's nothing good to think about them. I think about an abuser. But most people, there, there's something good that you can think of. Even if a person is causing you all kinds of difficulty, you can focus on something good that person did. In my life, in my leadership here at New Spring, again, this has been many years ago, as we were taking bold steps, there were people who didn't like the direction of the church and they chose to make it personal. I'm thinking especially about our transition back in 2004. And there are a couple of guys who were kind of the ringleaders. Well, they, they sort of led a group that was especially hateful and toxic. You know, I thought about those two guys and I had to consider how was I going to look at them from that point on because I loved them both. I remembered that one of the guys had helped me with a project at my house 20 years before. The other man had done something kind 10 years before that. Now, at that time, frankly, there wasn't a whole lot of good to look at in their lives. 
But every time I would think about them in that season of pain, I would remember when I looked at one guy that he had helped me with a project at my house years before. And when I looked at the other guy, I thought about what he had done that was kind for me 10 years before. And when I thought about them then, or when I think about them now, that's what I choose to focus on. Never forget, good people can make bad choices. One more time. The best of people can be on the wrong side of an issue. And if they're on the wrong side of the issue, they can behave in some very bad ways. Good people can make bad choices. Never forget this. People aren't snapshots, they're videos. (laughs) You know what I mean by that? I'm saying when you look at a person's life, you can look at any specific moment and you can draw a conclusion about that person, but that's a mistake. A person's life is many years. If we choose to see them in terms of a bad snapshot, we can write them off as bad people and we make a huge mistake. <laughs> I know those of you that are a little more analytical, you're, you're watching this and you're saying, Mark, did those two guys appreciate it? Probably not. I would imagine they never knew how I was looking at them. But it accomplished two important things in my life. It kept my attitude right in a really difficult season. And it also reminded me, secondly, that people can change. Today's not the end of the story. If that person comes around, I want to be ready to receive them with love and forgiveness and restoration if it's wise. So number two is really big. If someone's choice is putting you in a wilderness, try to remember something good that that person has done. And if you can, look at them through the lens of that positive experience. Okay, before we get to number three, I need to tell you it's so big, especially if somebody's bad choices cause you to lose time or opportunities like Joshua and Caleb. Again, they lost almost 40 years. The third statement is you say, my time will come. I think about Joshua and Caleb, 38 years to 40 years, wandering around in the desert and going to funerals. It wasn't their choice. I often try to imagine their conversations during that time. You know, Joshua and Caleb had things to talk about with each other that they couldn't talk about with anybody else. I think Joshua, you know, maybe as they were like out looking at the stars at night, Joshua would say to Caleb, man, do you remember how big those grapes were? Do you think we'll ever get back? By the way, if you're in a season of difficulty because of someone else's choice, do you have somebody that you can talk to who's tuned to your key, who can dream with you? If you do, that's a very valuable relationship. But I think that during those 40 years I wandered around in the wilderness, Joshua and Caleb subsisted on memories and God's promises. Boy, you talk about verses that I love in the Bible. I want you to look at Joshua chapter one because even though they were wandering around in that desert, not of their choosing, they could say number three in our sermon and that is my time will come. In Joshua chapter one, now they are entering into the promised land. Look at this verse. The Lord spoke to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people into the land I'm giving them. I absolutely love that. In all of my Bibles, you will find that line marked, the time has come for you. If you're God's woman or God's man on God's agenda, nobody, nobody can keep your season from coming. I know. I've lived it. I'm a big fan of Abraham Lincoln. I've read every biography I can get my hands on. 
There's one story in Lincoln's life. It's kind of hard to pin down because, well, it's in a lot of different books and a lot of different versions. Lincoln was a storyteller, and I'm guessing all these variations came because he told the story in different ways to different crowds. But I've I pulled enough of it from biographies to know that at least the core of it is fact. Lincoln, as I'm sure you've read many times, was a failure at almost everything before he was elected to the presidency. But when he was 23, he was about to go under with a partner in a tiny grocery business. Just, when I say grocery store, don't think of it like the supermarkets of our times, just a tiny little shack that sold the basic essentials. But they were going broke. His partner was stealing from him. And as they realized they were about to go bankrupt, Lincoln said to his partner, I wouldn't mind losing this business if I could do the one thing that I want to do more than anything else. I want to study law. Well, the closest law school was hundreds of miles away, and Lincoln had no money. But he said, you know, if, if I could study law on my own, I would love to have Blackstone's commentary on English law. And he said, I could study that, and I know I could become a lawyer. He said, if I could take everything I had and you know, sell it and buy Blackstone's commentary on English law, I would do it, but I don't have the money to, to do that. Well, in the last days of their business, a farmer, destitute with his family, came by on their wagon, and he asked Lincoln if Lincoln wanted to buy any of his stuff, and Lincoln said, I don't have any money. In fact, all he had was a 50-cent piece in his pocket. And Lincoln said, I, I don't have any money to buy whatever you've got here. And the guy said, please, I've got a barrel. And he said, I'll sell it to you for 50 cents. And Lincoln said the last thing he needed was a barrel, a barrel full of junk. But he looked at the woman's face and she was thin and emaciated and desperate. So Lincoln said he took the last 50 cents that he had and gave it to the farmer for that old barrel. Well, his partner berated him for spending his last 50 cents on junk. But sometime toward the end of the day, Lincoln started fishing through the barrel to see what was there. And of course, these were old, worn out, worthless rags and clothes. But he said as his hand got to the bottom of the barrel, he struck something solid. And when he reached down to pick it up, it was part of a set of books. And it was Blackstone's commentary on English law. He would write later that at that moment, he had a strong sense that God had something great for him. And he said, I will study and prepare myself and someday my time will come. I've always loved that story because it's so in line with what the scripture is saying. In the book of Psalm chapter 31 and verse five, the Bible says, my times are in your hands. Now, if you're going through a difficult season right now because somebody's choices have put you in a wilderness, that's a great verse to speak. My times are in your hands. Your times are not in the hands of your ex-husband or that boss who treated you unfairly. Your times are not in the hands of that person who hates you or that person whose choice hurts you. Your times are in God's hands. That's why the Bible says in Galatians 6, 9, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Here's statement number four that God taught me. I have great things to accomplish, and I can't stop and fight with you. This is really true. 
If you're God's woman in God's time doing God's work, if you're God's man in God's time doing God's work, you're doing great things. And if someone's choices cause you to experience difficulty, always remember, don't fight with that person. It's the wrong person to fight with. There's a great story in the Bible, one of the most famous, and it's the story of David and Goliath. But right before David went out to fight Goliath, his brother, his oldest brother, David was the youngest of eight, his oldest brother started ripping him for being bold enough to do what everybody else was afraid of doing. And he accused David of all kinds of stuff. One more time, this is his brother. His brother said to him, you're just down here to watch the fight. Well, there wasn't much fight going on because everybody else was scared to fight Goliath. But in effect, he was saying to David, you're just a wannabe. And he said to David, I know how arrogant you are. He would, he would say, go back to your few sheep. In effect, he was saying to David, you're a nobody who's full of yourself. Well, if I'm David at that moment, I want to defend myself to my brother who's ripped me in front of everybody. But notice David's response to his brother. He asked, is there not a cause? In effect, David was saying, I'm here to fight Goliath not you. Nothing good happens if I beat you. I don't have time to fight with you. I have great things to accomplish. Well, sometimes you're going to have haters. Someone has said, if you want to be hated, just have more, know more, or do more. Well, I don't know about the first two, but God has called us all to do more. And if you're trying to do great things for God, you're going to have haters. I've had them. And I know it's so tempting to at least defend ourselves against their accusations. But here's a lesson from scripture that has been so valuable to me. I'm gonna jump to another story in the Bible. It's from the book of Nehemiah. We did a series on Nehemiah called Build It, if you're interested in learning more. But in the book of Nehemiah, it's the story of Nehemiah leading the people of God back to Judah after the captivity to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Now, I'm at the end of the, of the story, pretty much. Let's pick it up, because Nehemiah has haters who are trying to stop him from building the walls, doing the job that God sent him to do. Now, the Bible says, when the word was given to, and there's a list of names of Nehemiah's haters, and to the rest of our haters, that I had done the building of the wall, and that there were no more broken places in it, even though I hadn't put up the doors and the doorways, the haters said, come, let us have a meeting but their purpose was to do me evil. And I said, and I've loved this all my life, Nehemiah said, I'm doing a great work, so it's not possible for me to come down. Is the work to be stopped while I go away from it and come down to you? You know, one of the sad things that I've watched through the years is I've watched leaders get distracted by haters, and they begin to argue and fight the haters, and they become distracted from doing the work that God has called them to do. So God taught me through the years that it's so important not to get distracted with people who are haters and begin to fight the wrong people. Well, number five is real similar to number four. In fact, I guess you could say it's an extension of number four. It is being able to say, when we look at those people whose choices have put us in a wilderness, those people are not my real enemy. If you're doing God's work, if you're in God's will, you have an enemy. It's just never people. It feels like it's people, but it's not. Our enemy is Satan. So here's the thing. 
If there are people who are making bad choices that put us in a wilderness, but they're not the real enemy, what's the benefit of fighting the wrong enemy? Let me give you a verse of Bible that makes this very clear because if you're dealing with someone who's trying to hurt you, it's real easy to think that person is the enemy. But listen to Ephesians 6.12. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, against authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. All four of those expressions refer to demonic activity. One more time, our enemies are never flesh and blood. Our real enemy is Satan. Now here's the thing. Satan will use the activities and words of others to come against us. Let me show you a prime example in the Bible. Jesus has just explained to his disciples that he is going to go to Jerusalem and be crucified. And Peter is saying probably what you and I would have said. Peter said, oh Lord, may that never happen. In Matthew 16, 23, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. Now, Jesus wasn't calling Peter Satan. I mean, after all, it would be Peter who would preach at Pentecost and thousands of people would be saved. Jesus just knew that he wasn't listening to Peter there. He was hearing Satan's message that Satan was leveraging that Peter spoke. That's a really important lesson for us. It's so important that we own that because so often we... People get on our bad list because they say something to us that we know is hurtful and painful. What's important to realize is Satan has leveraged an unwise or unhelpful statement to do damage to us. May God help us to remember that our real enemy is never people. Number six, here's the final lesson. God has taught me this, it's so important. With all the blessings that God has for me, I can afford to be generous. What is it that traps us into a fight with people whose choices have put us in a wilderness for a while? We get scared we're going to lose. We get scared that our life is over. Last week when Mary Alice and I sat down and we talked about these moments and she reminded me of different seasons when I said these six things. And we both began to cry as we talked about all these seasons that started, well, really long before I came to New Spring. And I finally said through my tears, as I look back on all those moments, you know, I never lost. I mean, sure, there were threats and sure there were wildernesses and there were some painful days in those wildernesses, but God won every one of those battles. God took care of everything. And now as I look back on all these years that I've had the privilege of pastoring and leading, it's been blessing on top of blessing. And even though I've dealt with the critics and the haters, I can afford to be generous. I'm talking to somebody today, and like Joshua and Caleb, somebody's Bad choices have put you in a wilderness. By faith, would you just take these things that God has taught me and by faith talk to yourself and say these six things. I want to go over them one more time because they are so important and they have carried me through so many dark and threatening moments. Number one, I can't let them change me. That's too much power to give anybody. Number two, 
I'm gonna try to remember something good about that person. And when I see them, I'm gonna look at them through the lens of that good thing that they did. Number three, my time will come. I may be in a wilderness today, but my season will come. I am God's man in God's time doing God's work. And God is gonna bring my season around. If you're God's woman in God's time doing God's work, you can say this. My season will come. My worst enemy, not even Satan himself, can stop my time from coming. Statement number four, I have great things to accomplish. I can't stop and fight with the wrong enemy. Number five, people are never my real enemy. And number six, with all the blessings that God has in store for me, I can afford to be generous. You know, the reality is if all God did was save us, we could still say that. I mean, salvation is such a great thing. God gives us so much in salvation. We have forgiveness from our sins. God gives us everlasting life. He adopts us into his family. I mean, certainly there are blessings on top of blessings, and I believe all of us are going to have our season. But just even if someone's choices put us in a place, a wilderness that we would never get out of in this life, just the blessing of salvation would be enough that we could afford to be generous and not be bitter. Well, what do we mean when we talk about God saving us? The Bible tells us that we are flawed, broken people ourselves and that we make bad choices. But God did not want to leave us alone. Instead, he made a way for us to be forgiven of everything that we've ever done and that we could be right with God. And most of all, that we could spend eternal life with God when this life is over. Now, the Bible calls this the good news. And why is it good news? Because it's free. You don't have to do anything to earn it. Religion can't get it for you. It's a free gift. God has in his hands eternal life, forgiveness, restoration, and unconditional love forever. And all you have to do is to ask for this. Scripture says in the book of Romans chapter 10, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you would like to invite Jesus Christ into your heart and life, you can do that right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And these are not magic words. You can pray your own prayer if you wish. But if you would like to join me, I'll pray this prayer very slowly so you can think about each line before you say it to God. And the important thing is he hears your heart. Are you ready? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive, I want Jesus as my Savior and my King. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for making me God's child. Well, the reason why I picked up this box is we have a gift we would like to give you if you just prayed to receive Christ. It's got a Bible just like I preach from, a little book that I wrote that'll probably answer a lot of questions that you may still have, and just some other great stuff. So if you're watching us here in the continental United States, you can text PRAYED, the word PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. And if you'll text PRAYED to 97,000, we will send this to you. 
If you're outside the continental United States, we have electronic versions that we want to send to you. And again, all you have to do is text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. We would love to hear from you. Well, may God bless you for watching today. And one more time, if you're in a wilderness because somebody else has made a choice that you wouldn't have made, you don't forget that God is with you. And remember these six statements. And if you will say them by faith, I can testify from my own life experience. God will bring you in to an awesome new season. May God bless you. See you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.